I'm calling this talk, there's nowhere else. As I think I mentioned before the meditation, there's, there's nowhere else. There's no place else, however you want to put it. Um, even though we try or we spend a lot of our time somewhere else. And the reason this came up for me is because it's, we just came through the holidays, we came through the new year, and that is often a time of looking back and reflecting, you know, there's all the top ten everythings. Um, when we set intentions for the year, we often reflect on, on the year gone by. Um, there's looking ahead, resolutions, what will the new year bring? There's the excitement, there's, there's trepidation, there's all these things. And um, so it's easy to be somewhere else in the past and the future. And then there's the experience a lot of people have had. I've, I've heard from a few people moving into, going back to work or going back to school, there's a lot of, you know, there's, there was some kind of um, calm during the holidays in December and then all of a sudden back at it and it's like all this stuff that you didn't pay attention to is now you have to pay attention to, you have to get caught up with. I know I took a, I was calling it a psychological vacation because I, I work from home and it's easy to work all the time when you work from home. So I had to really make a concerted effort to just like block a lot of stuff. And then I gave myself Monday and then Monday it's like, oh, here it all comes again. And then there's the, the, the world and the COVID and the, all the things that are happening. That it, it just turns up a lot of being somewhere else. We had just had the you know, the one-year anniversary of the insurrection on January 6th, and so there's a lot of recollection about that. And so I found myself um, being lost in this this future, and it's like, ah, what, what's going on? i got to get this. i got to get all these things done. I had a lot of things on my plate, a lot of things to catch up with. And um, it's so easy to, to do that. The mind is so adept at it. But as I was going through that earlier this week, I was like, oh, this, that, that. But when I started thinking about it, I went, yeah, but there's really no place but right here. And when you, when you allow that thought into your mind, there's a moment of like, at least for me, there was a moment of, like, oh, yeah, it's right here. There is no place else. We cannot be any place else. However... The mind is so adept at taking us other places, taking us, as I said, to the future, to the past. These habits of mind that we have that just kind of slip into these well-worn neural pathways that take us, take us, you know, down that road back there or into the future coming up. There was, a, you know, there's a lot of deaths lately. We lost Betty White and Sidney Poitier. And Sidney Poitier, he's been part of my life. I remember him from a kid watching his movies and it's like, oh. And so then I get back into the nostalgia. And, and so there's, there's like rabbit. It's like walking somewhere where there's a lot of rodents and you're like, you have to really pay attention because you can just put your foot in that hole really easily. But it's the habits of mind that are so well-worn. And, and the mind actually works well creating habits. I mean, it has all these shortcuts that are really beneficial. We need to have these habits. We can't relearn how to walk every day. We can't learn, relearn how to drive a car every day. We can't relearn all these things. We need to have these shortcuts. But when they carry over in how we move through the world um, mentally, then it can be challenging because we're, we're not present. We're not aware. We're lost somewhere else. And, um, 
we get caught in the future, we get caught in the past. And there's a couple of suttas that, well, there's several suttas that talk about this, but there's a couple of suttas I want to just um, uh, quote from. There's one called the Samiti Sutta, where this young monk is being accosted by a deva who's saying, come on, come on, come on, look to the future. There's so much fun we can have, and you're just stuck in the present. And the, the young monk responded to the deva and said, I don't reject the present moment to pursue what the future will bring, what time will bring. I reject what time will bring, meaning the future, in order to pursue the present moment. You know, because when we pursue the future, what time will bring, what pleasures there are, it can be fraught with pain, fraught with tribulation, fraught with worry, leading to greater danger. Instead, the Dhamma is here. The Dhamma is present in this moment. And that's where I plan to be. And when we rest in the Dhamma in the present moment, it leads us onward, you know? each realized by each own person, where we each realize our own experience, our own journey, as we stay grounded in the present. And that's it. I remember, um, I can't remember the quote. I didn't, I didn't uh, hunt it down, but Ajahn Chah, a great teacher in the Thai forest tradition who lived in the last century, talked about as soon as we get caught up in a thought, we are, we are no longer present. As soon as a thought just kind of takes hold, we're no longer aware. We're no longer right here. We're immediately entangled. So to, um, the invitation is to come back to this direct experience of reality, the direct experience of this moment, not the, ooh, movement into the future or movement into the past, but to the being right here. There's another There's another uh, sutta, the Bhadakarata Sutta, which is uh, called an auspicious night or an auspicious day. I've seen both of them, both translations. And I, this feels like it could, could have been written like yesterday or five minutes ago. And the blessed one said, you shouldn't chase after the past or place expectations on the future. What is past is left behind. The future is as yet unreached. Whatever quality is present, you clearly see right there, right there, right here not taken in, unshaken, that's how you develop the heart, ardently doing what should be done today. For who knows, tomorrow, death. There is no bargaining with mortality and his mighty horde. Whoever lives thus ardently, relentlessly, both day and night, has truly had an auspicious day. So if we can ardently, energetically, making the effort to live in the present, live open in, in, in awareness to right here, that's where there's, um, it's an auspicious day, it's a good day, it's a good night. That's what we want to have. Um, because when we get caught in the future, we're caught in plans or expectations, manipulations, how we want people to behave, how we want things to turn out. We get lost in, in um, our fears, trying to make sure everything comes out the way we want. I used to be extremely good at fortune telling. Not really, but I thought I was. I knew exactly what was going to happen. It was usually bad. 
I, I never or I rarely went down the road of, oh, it's all going to be good and everything's going to be great. It was always like, what if, what if, what if this, I got to make sure that I do this or you do that or this happens so that I'll be okay over here. Um, and I could predict it. And it was so habitual. It was so habitual. It didn't matter what the circumstances were. It was that well-worn path of, of moving into the future and ruminating. Ruminating is such a good word with what we do. We also ruminate about the past, where we get caught in regrets, we caught it, get caught in anger, we get caught in you know, nostalgia, memories, these residual emotions that, are, that, are, that, that, are, that reside right here but kick us off into thinking about the past. And so when we're caught in the past and the future, we're not aware. We are taken out of our awareness. And so it's the present when we're fully present is when there is awareness, when there is clarity, when there is wisdom that can develop. We begin to see that what's driving us. We begin to see what's actually here, the emotions, the fears, the joys, the sadness. We make the effort. There's the, we bring mindfulness and we begin to investigate what's going on right here. And then we make the effort to stay present. Those are the first three factors of, this, of this, the awakening factors, the first three of the awakening factors, this mindfulness, being willing to be here, looking what's going on, and then staying, making the effort to let go of those, those, those things that drag us away and stay right here. Um, and then we also have to realize that... Um, the future and the past are fabrications. They're just made up. They're just made up. Uh, the future obviously is made up. Even when you're as good a fortune teller as I was, it was all made up. How many times have you been in a situation, and I was talking to somebody this morning who said this. He was, his, his mother passed away a few months ago, and he was talking about all this time he was afraid of what he was going to have to do and what it was going to be like, and it didn't turn out anything like he had expected. How many times you've been in a situation where you had this expectation of X, Y, and Z happening, you feeling some certain way, something impacting you, and maybe the situation occurred, but how you moved through it was not as you expected. That, ha that happens so much because we have created scenarios so that we've just made up stories about the future. And to a certain extent, the past is also a fabrication. The way we think about the past, obviously facts are facts are facts, and they can't be changed. But how we see the past, how we remember the past, is, is a tremendous, uh, can be really a lot of uh, embellishment. And, you know, neuroscience has shown that, you know, um, I can't, I don't speak neuroscience, I don't speak the language, but that the, the, the minds and the memories and the thoughts become distorted and impacted by other neurons that are nearby. And so it kind of bleeds together and blends. And so what we think happened may not actually have happened. And I was talking to a friend of mine, a really old friend. We were, we were, we were friends in college. We're still very good friends. And she's moving, so she was cleaning out a lot of stuff. And she found some old letters and she found an old scrapbook of pictures and things. And she said, I went through this. And what I thought I remembered is not what happened. 
And I've done that too, going to old journals and going, I'm go I remember, I'm going to look it up and then go, oh, I was actually not quite right. But we live our lives acting from these memories so much of the time. But it's not grounded in truth. It's not grounded in clarity. It's grounded in this, this fabrication. And then I, I, you, the famous one, or a famous one, is when the space shuttle uh, exploded and they had a lot of people write down what they saw, a lot of witnesses. And then I think 10 or 15 years later, they asked them to uh, recount their experience. And most of the, 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 the memories did not match what they had written. It's really interesting. So we're seeing proof today. You can prove it, find it in your own life, how the memory just doesn't quite serve. Yet we, we, we run our lives based on these, these um, um, stories that are just solidified. Um, we become trapped, or uh, Tara Brock likes to say, entranced. We're, tr we're in a trance. Or the Buddha says all the time, we're entangled. You know, we, be, we become trapped by this chasing of pleasure and pushing away of pain. Um, it's not, obviously, it's not wrong to reflect or think about the future. We have to. We have to think about the future. We have to plan. We have to know what we're going to do. We have to apply to school. We have to make airline reservations. We have to do all these things. But we are doing it with the awareness that we are planning in the future. We're not living in the future. We are in the present making plans for the future. The same about recalling the past, sitting around and re talking about the good old days or didn't we have fun last night or I went on this hike this morning, which was gorgeous. It was absolutely beautiful this morning. Um, everything was so clear and, and bright. And so remembering that and, and feeling the joy that comes up or feeling the emotion, but the, recognizing that the emotion is here. The emotion is present. We're just recalling that. But being present and aware that we're moving into the future or the past. Or daydreaming. You know, like I said, there's nothing wrong with these things, but we know we're doing them. So, so reflecting and planning and remembering is one thing, but being trapped or entangled is something else. That's when we're no longer in the moment. And I had actually um, a great bounty of things um, that I saw on Facebook this week. And I want to share a couple of them with you because they actually point to what we're talking about or what I'm talking about. And one of them is, was a piece written by a friend of mine. Uh, she's a Dharma teacher up in Northern California. Her name is Kim. And she was talking also about this time of the year where we become overwhelmed by things and um, to come back. And she, she talked about it from the frame of simplicity. And she said, there is simplicity of the mind when our thoughts are complicated, filled with stories, complex contingencies, or elaborate plans. The mind gets weary and is less able to be present. On retreat, people who think a lot often discover that they are deeply tired. It is possible to think easily with less elaboration. The Buddha called the proliferation of thought papancha and noted that awakened beings did not mentally proliferate. He also specifically praised fewness of wishes. 
the fewness of wishes, where we're not always wishing. But papancha, this proliferation of thought, one thought leading to the next thought, leading to the next thought, leading to the next thought. And all of a sudden, we're a thousand miles away, and we may not even realize how we got there. And I know you can all relate to that. And I want to share one uh, one of my favorite papancha experiences. Um, was many, many, many years ago before I was married. I was engaged to my husband, my present husband, and we had gone camping. And right before we went camping, my my garbage car broke down one more time. And I said, I was thought of that on the way back from camping, the thought about my car popped into my head. And I said, oh, my car's broken down. I'm gonna have to take care of that when I get home. I I need to get a new car. I can't keep fixing this junk heap. I need to get a new car. I can't afford a new car. If I want a new car, I'm going to have to get a new job. I can't get a job in California. If I need it, if I'm going to get a new job that I can make enough money to buy a new car, I'm going to have to move to, back to New York. And if I move back to New York, then I can't get married. This was in the space of like five seconds. I had gone from a broken car to leaving town and breaking up my relationship. But luckily I was able to go, whoa, wait a minute, come back to where you are, come back to where you are. But that's, anybody relate to that? A little bit, yeah. But where our minds go and go and go. And so this practice is to return, return. As I said in the instructions, you, if, you, if the mind goes out a million times, you return a million and one times. Sharon, Sharon Salzberg says this is a practice of returning, uh, a practice of opening up into awareness, of opening up into the present. Um, Kim goes on to say, you know, um, sometimes we have no choice about being in an environment that is complex busy, crowded, or challenging. Even then, we can still have simplicity of being. We can sense the still point in the center of the heart or mind and rest there as the activity swirls around. We can participate from a place of inner calm. In such cases, we can remember, we can remember the Buddha's teaching that contentment is the greatest wealth. Given that this is how things are, can we find peace and ease with this, with the way things are? And again, this continues into the, seventh, uh, the seven factors of awakening, the, the mindfulness and the investigation and the effort. And then there's this ease and joy that comes, this tranquility that comes with the steadiness of being present regardless of what's happening. And there's this steadiness of mind and this equanimity. So being present allows you to move into this place of, of, of contentment regardless. And what that got me to thinking about was the, um, the idea of living with an undefended heart, which is what I really cherish, this, this lens to see the world, is how do I drop my defenses against reality because I'm always defending against what is you know based on conditioning deep conditioning deep conditioning or just habit just 
little habits that I pick up or we pick up here and there without even being aware, just subtle, subliminal. There's the societal conditioning based on how we've, you know, things we learn, who we are, what we look like in this world. And then there's our personal conditioning. And we're, we've created these, these ways to manipulate the future, the past. You know, we try and, I try and manipulate the past, make it change so I don't feel the way I feel right now. Um, but the invitation is to be with. One of the translations of sati, sati in mindfulness, is to be with. Be with right here, right now. Um, that's the undefended heart. And the, the, this, this invitation to deep intimacy with our experience without preference. Deep intimacy with our experience without preference. And there was another piece on Facebook that I saw this week. And this was posted by Aya Ananda Bodhi. Some of you know her. She's one of the nuns up in uh, Aloka Vihara, um, the Vihara up in Northern California. And she posted a piece from Chris Jordan, who is a photographer. And I guess he posted some pictures of um, birds that had died from consuming plastic. And he said, an environmentalist friend wrote to me feeling depressed and overwhelmed with all of the bad news, especially after seeing my photographs. Her sentence that broke my heart was, I think it's generally difficult once you know how hopeless things seem. And he said, in this regard, the importance of connecting with beauty cannot be overstated. If we are going to face and acknowledge the darkness as we must, then let us also face and integrate the light, the immense, astonishing miracle we are all part of. In every moment, at every scale, from the microscopic to the cosmic, our world and our own lives are impossibly magnificent and complex artworks or mandalas or waveforms or whatever the right word is. When we can contain these experiences in balance, all of the bad news, the destruction, loss, suffering, etc., and the vast beauty of our world and our own selves, then we become whole. That's the invitation of this practice, to hold it all, the sadness and the beauty. You know, the eight worldly winds, the praise and the blame, the gain and the loss, the pleasure, the pain. Can we hold all of that without being knocked over, without rushing off to fix or change or make it different? That's the invitation of this practice. That's the invitation of this, this work that we're doing. That's that, those are the, the awakening factors, being mindful, paying attention, making the effort, letting go of clinging or holding on, grasping which allows for this ease in spite of the difficulties, in spite of the challenges. And there's this, this steadiness of mind that allows us to be fully immersed in the present. And then that allows this equanimity, this intimacy, this not needing things to be a certain way to be okay. We... Um, what, what came up for me, the, the, the line, the phrase that came up for me yesterday was to wear the world as a loose garment. 
which I learned because I, I looked it up was, uh, is from St. Francis of Assisi. I, had, I didn't know that before. And so, you know, we wear the world as a loose garment that things just flow. You know, we, we, we flow. This is the, um, the balance. We don't not, we're not knocked over by anything. And we respond appropriately with this clarity of vision that we have from being fully present and fully aware and fully open. Not saying no, not saying yes. So these are, these are my thoughts on um, the, the reality that there's nowhere else to be but right here. Um, and so that's, that's, I hope, I hope, um, I hope this has been of some benefit and, um, thank you for your kind attention. The following is in response to a question. Yeah. One of the, some of the things that I, I like to reflect on when I, when I'm looking at things that are challenging or that I want to bring more in or, you know, any of the, any of the teachings, the different, um, iterations of the teachings, whether the, the, the Eightfold Path or the Paramis or any, any types of things. It's like, what's getting in the way of this? You know, what's the struggle? What, what hindrances are present? You know, that's, for me, that's a way to begin to move towards, oh, once I identify what the actual struggle is, you know, and how do I make the effort and how do I let go? Those are, those are questions. Um, not, changing necessarily. I mean, there's situations that are untenable and we need to make changes, but in this moment, how do I work with what's happening? When I was talking about being um, uh, lost in all the stuff I had to do earlier this week, and I started saying I'm feeling overwhelmed, and then I remembered that I, it was Arena Weissman who said to me a number of years ago, that overwhelm is in the mind. Overwhelm is in the mind because when I am overwhelmed, I'm not in the present. I'm somewhere else. And I said, okay, if I am feeling overwhelmed, but that's not the present, what is in the present? And I had to come to the experience of, okay, what's in the present? What's in the present is I'm tired. Oh, so there was some tiredness. Um happening. And so it's like, okay, let me tend to that. Let me recognize that I'm, I'm tired and I'm fatigued and I don't have to do, I, I absolutely can't do all these things this evening, but my mind is like, I got to do it all right now. And I was like, I'll make a list. And if I make a list, that'll ease the suffering I'm in. And it's like, I make a list and I was like, oh my God, the list is so long. And it's like, oh, come back. Oh, I'm just tired. Breathe breathe. And then when the time comes, I'll do what's the next, the, the next step, what's in front of me the next morning. And I do. And, and a lot of times I find that what I think is going to take forever doesn't. And I'm like, oh, that went quickly because I wasn't in so much suffering around it. I was just kind of working with it. So that, that's, that's what I, I try. And it's like, what's, what's in the way? Oh, my, I, my thought about overwhelm, that idea, that habit. And it's like, oh, let that go. What's here? Not saying it always works, but uh, um, the effort to really let go um, is so beneficial. So,
Thank you for visiting Undefended Dharma. These teachings are freely offered. However, if you would like to make a donation to help support the technology that makes these podcasts possible, please visit marystancavage.org backslash support. Thank you.